Uh, be great if you can take your Bible open. Uh, get your Bible open now. Uh, we're going to have our reading for this morning, which Sarah's going to take, and that's from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter four, starting at verse two. Thanks, Sarah. All right, Philippians four two to nine. I entreat you, Odia, and I treat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel together, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are on the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, And as always, really good to keep your Bibles open there at uh, the passage that we read so we can refer to it as as we go through this morning. Uh, let's pray and ask for God to be at work and speak to us. Heavenly Father, uh, please open our ears this morning uh, so that we might hear you, listen to you, uh, and be renewed by you. Uh, Lord, take away stubbornness and resistance uh, to what you are saying. Uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit uh, so that we might know you more. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Over the last uh, few years, uh, as a society, we've become a lot more aware of both the prevalence and the impacts that that anxiety uh, is having on people and on people's lives, Uh, both clinically, uh, so that's diagnosed as a condition, or I guess uh, more garden variety anxiety, just about the stuff from day to day, we've become quite aware that this is uh, experienced by many, many people in their lives, in our country, in our society. We suffer from anxiety about money, uh, the state of the world, our health, the future, relationships, how our kids are going. In fact, just about anything can, can be a cause of anxiety in our lives. Uh, some statistics that were released last year, so 2021, uh, in the midst of the pandemic, uh, suggested uh, that one in six people in Australia uh, suffer from some form of anxiety disorder. Uh, a little bit further back, there was a study done, particularly in uh, the US, uh, around the prevalence of anxiety, and it was noted that uh, the cases of anxiety uh, rose by more than 50% Uh, around the year 2011, uh, amongst young people in particular, which was also just happened to be the year that uh, the number of people with smartphones uh, ticked over 50%. We know that anxiety has all sorts of impacts. Has impacts on our society, the way that we relate, relate. Has, Has impacts on our own lives. It impacts the way we sleep or we don't sleep, uh, the way that we use food, uh, the way that we self-medicate, the things that we do to ignore the things that are bringing us anxiety, 
Now, it's not a new thing, is it? I mean, we may be experiencing a wave. We may be far more conscious of it, but it's, it's certainly not new. Anxiety has always been with people. And it's clear that there was anxiety in the lives of people in the New Testament times as well. There must have been because Paul is addressing it here in this, this section of his letter, isn't he? Uh, do not be anxious about anything, he, he says to the church at the Philipp- of the Philippians. Now, we don't know exactly what all the causes were for their anxiousness. Uh, perhaps they were uh, worried about themselves financially. Maybe they were worried about the state of the world and, and where it was going. And maybe they too were concerned about their kids and their health. But we, we do know some of the particular anxieties that they had as a church, as, as God's people. Uh, they were being made anxious by some false teaching and teachers that had tried to infiltrate the church. Paul, Paul's been addressing that in his letter. Uh, they, were, they were anxious about some of the opposition that they were facing as a church for, for, for knowing and believing in Jesus. That was, that was creating some anxiety. There, there is a, they were anxious about Paul himself. They were, they were worried about his health and how he was going in prison in Rome. And they were anxious because there was a disagreement, one at least, and we're going to come to that, that was happening there within the church. And, well, maybe we, we know the reality of some of those things that cause anxiety as well. Now, this section, if you, as we read through, I don't know about you, but it can feel a little bit like lucky dip, can't it? <laughs> There's a whole lot of things being covered at once. You get, kind of get the feel, feeling that Paul is getting to the end of his letter. Maybe he's running out of ink. <laughs> Maybe he's running out of papyrus. Uh, but he's kind of just throwing a whole lot of things uh, down on paper. And it, there is a bit of that going on. But I, I want to suggest that there is a theme to these verses. And it's the theme of peace. Peace in the church uh, and peace in our hearts and in our minds, collectively and individually, as the people of God. In a world full of anxiety, uh, Paul is giving instructions to the church on how to experience not just garden variety peace, but but a special peace that comes from God himself. So we're going to divide this up by looking, I'm going to summarize it in three instructions that, that Paul gives the church here. The first one, to strive for peace. The second one, to pray for peace. And the third one, to think for peace. Now, before we do that, I just need to acknowledge something here. I made a distinction earlier between uh, clinical anxiety and garden variety anxiety. And I I just need to say up front that I'm not a professional in this area. I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. And that's not a professional distinction. And, uh, and this is not uh, professional therapy this morning. Uh, and I'm also certainly not saying this morning that if you suffer from anxiety, uh, all you need to do is have more faith and pray more and it's all going to go away. Uh, there are times for professional help. There are times where we need to see our GP and we need to see a counselor or, or whatever it is. And, and if, if you're in that position, then, then, then get that help. Uh, but at the same time, um, hear what God says to us uh, that goes alongside of that. All right, first instructions for experiencing peace in a world of anxiety is that we are to strive for peace. We're to strive for peace, particularly 
with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to live at peace with one another and work for peace with each other. Now, the unity of the church has been a theme that Paul's already touched on in that letter as we've gone through. We've seen the importance of unity in the church. Unity that comes to us in the gospel. We are one together in Christ. Unity that is for the sake of the gospel. That unity enables us to stand firm against opposition and to be a witness to the world. And unity that is shaped by the gospel, it follows in the steps of Christ who emptied himself and became nothing, a servant for the sake of us, and we are to follow in those steps. Now here in verse 2 and 3, and I suggest 4 and the first part of 5, Paul in particular now is applying that unity to a situation that is going on in the Philippian church. Have a look here. I entreat Judea and I entreat Sintiche to agree in the Lord. Now, two women here. The only times that their names are mentioned in the New Testament. Not a great way to be mentioned uh, in the Bible. Um, being told to agree with each other. Now, we don't know what the issue was between them. We would like to know, wouldn't we? <laughs> I would love to know what was going on there. I'd love to get the goss on it. You know, because then we could take sides, couldn't we? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with Udia on, on this one. Sorry. Uh, or we could, we could have a solution for them as well. Um, but we don't know what the issue was. Charles Spurgeon, uh, when he wrote, wrote about this passage, said, uh, I'm glad that we do not know what the quarrel was about. I'm usually thankful for ignorance on such subjects. Um, it's actually really good that we don't know what the issue was because instead of thinking about their issue, then we can actually maybe think um, a little bit more about ourselves. And we can ask the question, um, do we have relationships that are strained and broken in our church or in our lives? Do we have differences that are unresolved? Uh, do we have people that we can't look in the eye at church or who we try to avoid? Because if we do, that's not a good thing. That's not healthy in the church. That in itself creates anxiety in our own lives and another person's life and actually creates an air of anxiety in the church. Now, what we do know about this issue is that it's not a gospel issue, is it? Because Paul tells them, he doesn't take sides, but tells them to agree in the Lord. Uh, we know what Paul does when it is a core gospel issue. Uh, he calls people dogs and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. He draws a sharp line of distinction here, but he doesn't do this in this case. He simply tells these two women to agree. Now we think, oh, hang on. Is it that easy? Just agree? Well, he actually gives a particular phrase, doesn't he? He says, agree in the Lord. I don't know if you notice it when we read through, but he actually then goes on to talk about all of the things that these women have in common. Have a look. Have a look. He says, help these women who have labored side by side with me. He reminds them, you work together. He actually then calls them fellow workers. And he reminds them that their names are written in the book of life. 
And then he says, and I, I think verse 4 is like the big application of, of, of a particular point he's making. He says, to the whole church, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. What, what is rejoicing about in this letter? It's rejoicing in Christ and all he has done for us. He, he's reminding them in the church, isn't he? That they have more that unites them than separates them. You know, maybe they had a bust up over what one of them said about the other one or how the growth group should be run or how this mission thing should, should maybe, who cares he says you are to agree with each other he also gives instructions for somebody else he, he says true companion if you notice that there's there's pages and pages are written about who's the true companion and at the end of it everyone says we got no idea so you know we don't know who that was but someone there who Paul identifies as a true companion he says Help them. He says there's a place for that, isn't it? Matures, brothers and sisters in Christ coming alongside and, and helping two people in the church who disagree with each other. But agree, he says, in the Lord. Forgive. Let go of it. Move on. Now, why does this matter? Uh, surely disagreements are just a natural part of life. They're a natural part of everyday life for Christians in a fallen world. But remember that unity in the church is for the sake of the gospel. It's in unity that we stand together against opposition. And it's unity that, that, that says something about who Christ is to a, to a watching world. I think that's what he says in verse, that's what he's saying in verse 5 when he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonableness can be gentleness or, or compassion or kindness. He says, have this shown to the world around you. Even when you disagree, find a way to agree in the Lord. Now, uh, maybe a little bit naturally, uh, I've, I've been doing a bit of reflecting uh, over the last little while on my time here at South Bowen. Maybe that's not obvious, but that's what I do. Uh, and one of the things that I'm really thankful for here is that we've been relatively free as a church of major divisions. And that, that goes before me as well. Now, I say relatively because not absolutely. <laughs> uh, church is always going to have things that go on where, where people don't agree. Some of them are bigger. Some of them are smaller. There have been uh, niggles <laughs> along the way. And if we're honest, there are still niggles uh, in our church between people. I know some of them. I don't know all of them. But it's not right. Uh, it impacts the unity of the church. And it gives an air of anxiety in the life of the church. So Paul says, work, strive for peace. Agree in the Lord. And where there needs to be forgiveness, give it freely. And when we need to talk to somebody, we talk to them about it. But let's agree together in the Lord. All right, next instruction. And we're picking it up halfway through verse 5. And I'm going to summarize it with the phrase, pray for peace. Now, it should say here, if you've got an outline with you, there probably should be a comma after the word pray. Uh, because you can and you should 
pray for peace, God to give his peace to the church. But that's actually not what Paul is saying here. He's saying pray so that you experience, enjoy the peace of God in your lives, guarding your hearts and your minds, he says. The act of praying enables us to enjoy and experience the blessing of peace. Look at what he says here, halfway through verse 5. He says, the Lord is at hand. And, and I, I, I don't think this is so much the Lord is close to coming back. Uh, maybe it is. The, the Lord has been close to coming back for 2,000 years, and he'll be close to coming back until he comes back. But I don't think that's the emphasis. I think he's saying, the Lord is not far from you. He's not a God that goes on holidays. He's not a God that's removed. He's not a God that, that, that gets tired or weary. The Lord is at hand. The God who is sovereign, who reigns over all things. The God who is good. The God who loves you. That God is at hand. So he continues, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, by itself, that would seem a little bit trite, wouldn't it? Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Well, yeah, sure, you know, I'll just, I'll just turn it off right, right here and now. We think, well, have you seen, Paul, the state of the world? <laughs> have you seen the things that, that are going on? Have you seen my bank balance? <laughs> you tell me not to be anxious. Paul, do you know what rattles around in my brain and keeps me up, up at night? You, you know the stresses that I've got? Well, Paul doesn't say that alone, does he? He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. The Lord is at hand. He says, he's close to you. The Lord who is sovereign, he reigns over everything. The Lord who is good to you and loves you. The Lord who has the future in his hands is near. So pray. With thanksgiving, see the things that he's doing and present everything to him in prayer. And then he goes on to say, and following on from this, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which you can't explain in human terms, will guard your hearts and your minds will, will guard how you feel and will guard what you think about in Christ Jesus. One of the key reasons uh, why we are anxious is because there is so much that is out of our control, isn't it? Like, we don't get anxious about things that we can control. We get anxious about the things that are out of our control. And the more you think about it, the more you realize there are many, many things in my life that are outside of my control. No matter how much I think about it, no matter how much I work for it, I can't control the state of the world. I can't control what this person or that person does. There, there are things that I can do nothing about. Now we do this, and I'm going to not pull any punches here. We do this because we do not trust that God is either sovereign or good. 
We do not trust that he's either in control, or if he is in control, that he loves us and he wants what is best for us. We feel like the world and life is just like running on this train without a track, just going wherever it wants to go, but it's not. God is good. God is sovereign. And so Paul says, pray to him. Pray to him and experience the peace of God guarding your heart and guarding your mind. Now, I know what some of us are thinking because I'm thinking it myself, <laughs> but I tried that. Like, I, I was anxious, <laughs> I prayed, nothing changed. <laughs> it all went around the same. Now, I don't think that Paul um, is writing a script here. <laughs> so this is no magic pill, like anxious, pray, sorted. I think what he's talking about here is a pattern of life where we trust in the goodness and the sovereignty of God and we are continually bringing the things of our lives before him. We're acknowledging over and over as we pray that he is sovereign and he is good. And the transformation of our minds and our hearts, that doesn't happen quickly. That happens over a long period of time. Now, I, I, know, I know this myself. Uh, I get anxious. <laughs> I pray. And then before I know it, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking the same things as I was before. And, and I've found in my own life, this, this is like a process I go through over and over again. And then again and again, God through his word and, and by his spirit has to direct my eyes off me and what I can do onto him and who he is and what he is doing. It takes time, doesn't it? And maybe, maybe we do this just daily. Maybe we do this every hour. But you know what? There are also those times, aren't there, where we get to look back and we think, I had no idea how I was going to get through that. But incredibly, I had a, I had a peace that's, that's the peace that passes, surpasses all understanding. We, we don't get how we get it. You know, like, how could I be calm? Well, that's the blessing of God, isn't it? The peace of God guarding our hearts and our minds. All right, final instruction uh, there, starting in verse 8. Paul says, finally, and we think, hang on, I've heard that before, about two and a half chapters ago. I'm not falling for it this time. Well, it's, we are getting closer to the end. I, I, I promise you that. Finally, <laughs> uh, final instruction, uh, think for peace. Now, originally when I, when I put this together, I was going to have the word meditate for peace in here, but then I realized, hang on, that's going to have all sorts of connotations uh, that, that we maybe don't want here. Because when we, we think about meditating, we think about inner peace, don't we? Like being centered and kind of finding this inner calm, but that, that is not what Paul is talking about. I was going to use the word meditation because, because meditating in the Bible is actually having God's word go over and over in our minds and through our hearts. It's, it's thinking about God and who he is and what he's done. That, that's, that's, that's meditating in, in the Bible. And that's what Paul is thinking about here, talking about here. Verse 8, finally, brothers, 
Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think, he says, about these things. His instruction to us is think about things, dwell on things which are good, which are from God. Dwell on the things that give your mind good things to have rattling around in it. Feed on stuff that is wholesome. Now, if you notice verse 6, 9, he also says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Now, we, we looked at this last week. What was, what was Paul's practice? To know Christ and to know the power of the resurrection. He says, that, that's what I'm striving after. Now he says, think about things which are worthy and honorable and pure and lovely. You see, one of the reasons why we are so anxious is because we feed our minds on too much that is not good and lovely and excellent and praiseworthy. We, we feed on things, whether it's media or social media or conversations, that are actually feeding on exactly the other, opposite. They're feeding us on junk. And it takes our minds away from the things that are of God and the things that are good. Now, like many of you experienced, uh, I found myself... Uh, Growing in anxiety the, the longer the pandemic went on. Uh, I reckon about a year ago, 12 months ago, I, I was more anxious than I have possibly ever been in my life. And what I found myself doing during that time was I became obsessed by news articles. I uh, like my phone, like just the news apps and press conferences and daily numbers and restriction lifted and, you know, so much to think about and so many plans that, that had to be made. And I, I found myself uh, far more addicted to social media than, than I've ever been. Because while I was feeding myself all this, I wanted to numb it at the same time. I wanted to think about anything else. Now, I know I'm going to harp on about phones and social media. Too bad. Uh, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. Um, so over, over, over the last six months, I found for myself that I've actually had to just retrain the, the way that I use my phone and getting rid of apps and getting rid of notifications and, and a whole lot of things like that. Now, we could do all that and it wouldn't be any different. Like I could throw my phone in the bin but, and I'd still find something unhealthy to feed on. So, so that's not the only answer. The answer actually is to feed on things that God says are wholesome and excellent and good. To, to get some of the crap out of our diet and actually start some feeding on some of the things that are going to direct our attention to him. Now, there's not a lot of good news around these days. Not a lot of things that we read that are encouraging and build us up. But if you're a Christian, if you believe in and follow the Lord Jesus, you have good news, which is better than any of the bad news you have ever heard. 
And you can scroll through the pages of his word and you will never get to the bottom of that good news. You'll never get to the point where you've learned it all or it ceases to amaze you or ceases your heart to be filled with wonder. On every page and in every day and in every moment, there are things to discover about the Lord Jesus and his love and his compassion and his power and his mercy and what that means for us. Think on these things, says Paul. And the God of peace, he says, will be with you. The God who is peace. The God who won peace for us on the cross. The God who guards our hearts and our minds. That God is with us. He's at hand. He's not far away. Strive strive for peace. Let's not create anxiety in our relationships in the church. Let's pray for it. Let's, let's bring things, everything, before our Heavenly Father. And let's think about things which are good and upright and true. Let's pray to him now, shall we? Lord God, we um, are so thankful that um, peace in our lives and in this world is not something that we can or have to achieve. Thank you that this is not a journey of inward discovery. It's not an abandonment of life. I thank you, Lord, that you are the one who grants peace. In the midst of anxiety, in the midst of distress and trouble, um, we can know the peace that surpasses all understanding. Help us, Lord, to enjoy and experience that today. Help us to work hard for it, uh, to lay our concerns at your feet. And may we, may we enjoy uh, your loving kindness at work in our hearts and minds. Amen.